Chapter 16 of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life by Margaret O. Oliphant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16, Walks and Talks. They tell me you are to be congratulated, Hester, said old Captain Morgan. She had met him taking his evening walk, and in that and in his aspect altogether, there was something altogether despondent a depression and air of weakness which was not common with the old man. She had not gone with him for some days, and perhaps he had felt the desertion. The first thing Hester did was to draw his hand within her arm. "'You are tired,' she said. "'Not very. I'm a silly old fellow and always go too far. I've been thinking of you, my dear, and if you are to be congratulated—' "'No, I don't think so, Captain Morgan. What about?' about if anything so important had happened you would have come and told me hester i am glad you see that at last but yes there is something to congratulate me upon nothing did happen is not that a great deal to say for i was tempted sadly tempted my dear i don't understand that hester laughed you see captain morgan you are wise and know a great deal but you were never a girl, and a poor girl. It would have been so delightful to put my mother back in her nice house and show Catherine— Here she paused, somewhat embarrassed. What of Catherine? he said. Oh, not much. They were, perhaps, when they were young, on different sides. My mother has come down, and cousin Catherine has gone up. I should like to have put the balance straight— to bring Catherine down and put your mother... No, Captain Morgan. Catherine is always good when she is with you. I think I almost like her then. I would not harm her, said Hester, holding up her head, if I had the power to do it. But she scorns every one of us, perhaps because we all consent to eat her bread. I would not, you know, if I could help it. I know you are ungenerous, Hester, in that respect. Ungenerous? Well, never mind, there are more kinds of ungenerosity than one. I am going in with you to tell Mrs. Morgan. I am not sure, said the old captain, although it is a wretched piece of self-denial that I want you to come with me tonight. Esther opened her great eyes wide. Why, she said, it was the one house in the world to which she felt she had a right. That is nonsense, however, said the old man, for of course you must meet... We have got our grandson, Hester. I heard somebody had come, but I thought it was a gentleman. I did not know you had any children except little Mary. We have none in this world. But do you think my wife would have been what she is with never a child? We all have our disabilities, my love. I have never been a young girl, and you have never been an old pair. They both laughed. Esther, with the easily recovered cheerfulness of youth, he in tremulous tones which had as much pathos as mirth in them. "'This is the son of my daughter,' he said. "'She has been long dead, poor girl, happily for her. Unless when there is some business connected with them to be settled, we don't talk much of them. My wife and I long ago went back to the honeymoon stage. We have had to live for each other.' and very glad to have each other to live for. Children are very strange, my dear. Are they? said Hester, with an awe which she could scarcely understand. 
very strange, so dependent on you for long, so independent after, so unlike you that you cannot understand what you have to do with them. Perhaps it is a penalty of living so long as we have done. I have a theory, said the old captain, cheering up, that after seventy, when you have lived out your life, you begin another, and it is quite different. It is a pity we can't renew the old bodies, eyes and ears and legs and all the rest of it. It would be a very interesting experiment. Like the people who found the elixir of life, or the wandering Jew? The girl spoke to humor him, herself wondering over every word with that curiosity mingled with pity and tenderness and half-disapproval with which youth listens to the vagaries of age. Not at all like the wandering Jew, his life was continuous and one ideaed said Captain Morgan, delighted to get upon his hobby. And I miss a great deal in the stories of those who get the elixir. They may renew their lives, but not themselves. There is one I recollect at this moment, St. Leon. Of course, you have never read St. Leon. He becomes a beautiful young man and the rival of his son, who, of course, does not know him. But the old fellow knows him. He is an old fellow, notwithstanding his elixir. The soul of him is just the same. That is not my point of view. The old man had become quite erect and walked smartly, animated by his fancy, leading Hester with him rather than leaning on her. No, he repeated, that is not at all my point of view. The bodies keep old, the minds get different. I have shaken off my old burdens. I don't take any more responsibility for those who used to belong to me. They don't belong to me any longer. They are laboring along in the former life. I have started in the new. But, Mrs. Morgan, said Hester with a quaver in her voice. Ah, there's the blot, said the old man. Of course, she and I belong to each other forever and ever. Oh, I don't want to begin again without my old wife. And she won't give up the children, though they are children no longer. Once a mother, always a mother, Hester. You women are sadly fettered. You can't shake it off. Nor you either, Captain Morgan, cried Hester, indignant. She could not bear that he should so wrong himself. My dear, I could do it without difficulty. Is it just, do you think, that one human creature should be made the victim of another? simply because he has been instrumental in bringing that other into the world? Supposing that they have drained all that was best in me out of me for years. Supposing that they have made my life hard and bitter to me. Supposing that they have grown alien to me in every respect, thinking other thoughts, walking in other ways, and that they are as old and more worldly than I am older, less open to any influences of nature. Am I to go treating these old, rigid, commonplace people as if they were my children still and breaking my heart about them? No, no. This seemed a terrible speech to Hester. She kept patting his arm softly with her hand and saying, Oh, Captain Morgan, you do not mean that again and again. It was dreadful that he should say this a father to give up his children. It hurt Hester to think such an idea could find entrance into any mind. 
And as for the grandchildren, that is out of the question altogether, Captain Morgan said. I am not going to begin a new life of trouble through them. I thought, said Hester, that fathers and mothers never could forget their children. It is in the Bible. Can a woman forget? It is a woman, my dear. There is nothing about a man. My wife is horrified at what I say as much as you are. But for all that, there is justice in everything, and one soul should not be sacrificed for another. Well, will you come in? I do not forbid you, but don't take much notice, I warn you, Hester, of the person you are going to meet. The person she was going to meet? This was enough to make her curious, if not to prepossess her in favor of the unknown, who, however, she expected to be introduced to her in the shape of a schoolboy, perhaps a heavy schoolboy, a sort of being for whom the girl had an instinctive dislike. She followed the old captain into the house almost mechanically. Mrs. Morgan's chair, now that it began to be chilly in the evenings, was placed so as to approach the fire, which in the evening was now always lighted, and sent out a cheerful glow. It was more cheerful than usual tonight, coming in from the grey of the waning light outside. There was no lamp, but only the leaping flame of the fire. The sound of cheerful voices and conversation, even of laughter, was audible as the door was opened. The quiet in which the old lady generally sat waiting for her husband's return, a tranquillity which was peace itself, yet a silent peacefulness, had always seemed very sweet to Hester. That soft stillness of waiting had seemed to her the very atmosphere of love. But now at the door, even before she entered, she was conscious of a difference. Life had entered in. The voices were not forced or measured, but chiming with each other in the free interchange of familiar affection. The old lady's soft little laugh, enticing a louder laughter, her voice alternating with the deeper tones. There was no pause in this lively conversation, but someone rose up against the firelight, a tall, straight figure, no schoolboy, as was evident at the first glance, when they went in. But indeed, the first glance was not supported by any further revelation, for after the little commotion occasioned by their entrance, the stranger subsided into his chair again, and remained to Hester till her departure, a shadow only, with a singularly soft and harmonious voice. It got up again to bow to her, and it went on talking out of the gloom, as she, sitting in the full glare of the light, kept shyly by Mrs. Morgan's side. Why was she shy? It was not her disposition to be shy. This evening a gentle embarrassment was upon her. She had a pleasure in sitting there by the old lady's side, defended by the darkness from all necessity of saying anything, sharing, she could scarcely tell why, the content which trembled in every tone of her old friend's voice. The captain did not take any share in this talk. He sat down behind backs, saying that the fire was too much for him, with a long-drawn breath that sounded like a sigh. Once or twice he was appealed to by name and made a brief response, but he took no part in the conversation. On ordinary occasions it was he who talked, Mrs. Morgan in her great chair remaining quietly quiescent, now and then making a remark. 
It was very strange to see the captain thrown thus into the background, but curiously enough Hester did not remark it. So much was she occupied with the novelty of the conversation. When the door opened she was alarmed lest it should be the lights that were coming, so much more satisfactory was it to let things remain as they were. The unseen speaker talked about a great many things altogether unknown to Hester. His brothers and sisters, his cousins, a throng of unknown Christian names, every one of which it was evident had characteristics of its own with which both the speakers were acquainted. The listener felt as if a throng of new acquaintances crowded softly in, filling the dim place with not unfriendly faces. "'And what is Eleanor doing?' Mrs. Morgan said. "'It is easy to answer that question, Grandmother. She is spoiling her children.' and we all know so much better, we who have none. Yes, yes, that is always the way, said the old lady. But, Roland, you must tell her from me that it is very foolish. She will not think it is ignorance on my part. Her mother, poor dear, was just the same. And here the old lady shook her head softly with a glitter in her eyes, as if a tear was not far off. But if so, there was sweetness in the tear. She turned after a time to Hester, who sat by with a strange sort of pleasure to which she was unaccustomed, listening in surprised interest without wishing to take any part. "'You are surprised to hear me so talkative, Hester, but it is not often I have a grandson to wake me up. You did not know I had one, perhaps. Ah, I have been hearing of so many people that I don't often hear of. That does an old body good.' "'I like it, too,' said Hester, the firelight adding colour and animation to her face. "'I did not know there were so many people in the world.' "'That's very pretty of you to say, my dear,' said the old lady. "'I was afraid you would think it all gossip, but they are people who belong to me, the most of them. "'And letters don't tell you like the voice. "'You must run away when you are tired. Well, "'I think I shall go on asking questions till midnight.' This young lady, this dear girl, Roland, is the comfort of our lives. I thought no less, said the voice out of the shadow, with a softness which went to Hester's heart, sending a little thrill of pleasure through her. She had not even seen his face, but she could not be unaware that he was looking at hers, from the protecting darkness on the other side of the fire. This curious, pleasurable encounter, as through a veil of two fresh souls, hitherto unknown to each other, a moment as full of enchantment as can be in this world, was suddenly broken in upon by the old captain, who jumped up, notwithstanding his rheumatism, as quickly as a boy, and coming between, stood up with his back to the fire, interrupting the light. "'My old woman,' he said, "'your Eleanor's and your Emily's are like a book to her. It is like reading a chapter at hazard out of a novel.' but there is no end to the story and no beginning, and she is at this moment deep in her own, approaching the end of the third volume. I should have said to see Miss Vernon, said the stranger, who is more a voice than ever, now that the old man interrupted what little light there was, that she was at the beginning of the first. Was it the beginning of the first? Hester felt a wave of colour fly over her face and thought in her heart that the newcomer was right. The initial chapter, surely this was true, not even a beginning, but something that went before any beginning. 
It never answers, said Captain Morgan, to give an opinion without knowledge of the facts. You are a clever fellow, Roland, but not so clever as that comes to. You will find, Hester, that round every human creature you come across, there is some kind of a world hanging bound with gold chains about the feet of. That is the most uncomfortable metaphor I know. I wonder what Mr. Tennyson could have been thinking of. Did he think that this round world was hanging on like a big ball, hampering the going of God, do you suppose? But there is something of that kind true enough with men. If you mean that for me, said the old lady, smiling, you are wrong, Rowley. God knows my heart yearns after them all, great and small, and it is the greatest refreshment and no hampering to hear about them all, their pleasures and their troubles. What hurts me is to keep it all in and ask no questions, as so often I have to do. The old captain shook his head. He kept on shaking it gently. We have argued that question a great many times, he said, but I am not convinced. What was evident was that he intended this conversation, which had been so animated and pleasant, to come to an end. He could not surely be unkind, but he placed himself, as it were, in the midst of the current and stopped its flowing. A sensation of vexed displeasure and disappointment with her old friend, whom she loved, rose in Hester's mind. Was it like him to reject the kindness of kin? to limit his wife and her affections, to turn a cold shoulder on his grandson, and yet all these things he seemed to do. Roland, on the other side, she knew no other name for him, had been silenced. He had scarcely attempted to speak since the old man took that place in front of the fire, from which his shadow fell like a dark pillar across the room. Dividing the side on which Mrs. Morgan sat with Hester beside her, from the other on which was the new being with whom Hester had already formed almost an intimate acquaintance, she felt, though she did not know his name and had not seen his face. This very uncertainty pleased her imagination and inclined her to the newcomer, but it was embarrassing to find herself in the midst of a scene where so many confusing, uncomprehended elements were at work and where something which was not family harmony and peace lay evidently under the surface. When she rose up to go away, the unknown rose too, but the captain was on the alert. "'You can now go back to your gossip,' he said, "'my dear, for I mean to see Hester round the corner.' "'No, Captain Morgan, it is very damp, and your rheumatism—' "'Bah, my rheumatism!' "'There are worse things than my rheumatism,' he said, bustling to get his coat. "'Might I not replace you, Grandfather? It would be a pleasure, and I have no rheumatism.' This idea pleased Hester. It would be only for a moment, but he was something new. She was so sadly familiar with every person and thing about that any novelty was delightful to her. But the captain was not to be shaken off. He pushed Roland back into his seat. There are worse things than rheumatism, he said, and he scrambled into his coat and took Hester under his arm with unwonted formality. She felt annoyed and angry beyond description, vexed with her old friend. Why should he interrupt the innocent talk? Why interfere so pointedly to prevent the simplest communication between her and the stranger? A mere politeness, where could have been the harm of that? And then it was quite unnecessary that anybody should see her home. 
that the old man should risk an illness to do this, when she had so often run unattended from one door to the other, was more irritating than words could say. And what was worst of all, it made the captain less perfect in her opinion. The captain, of whom she had felt that all the rest of the world failing her, here was still an excellence upon which she could fall back. Since they had come in, though the interval was short, the autumn evening had closed in completely. It was very damp and cold. The common lay in a white mist, the sky hazy with a few faint stars looking down through veils of vapour, the atmosphere heavy. "'Why should you come out to catch cold?' Hester said. "'I want no one. I am quite able to take care of myself.' And I want no one, my dear, except myself, to have anything to do with you, said the old man. I am not afraid to tell you my meaning without disguise. Then stand at the door while I run home, she pleaded. But he would not spare her a step of the way. He hobbled along to the veranda with his comforter twisted about his throat and mouth, speaking out of the folds of it with a muffled voice. If it was any girl but you, I should be afraid to say it, lest the mere contradiction might be enough for them. But with you, I am not afraid, he said. Was his confidence justified? Was Hester too wise to be moved by that hint of opposition, that sense that a thing which is forbidden must be pleasant? It is dangerous to predict of anyone that this will be the case and perhaps the captain did his best to falsify his own hope. He took her to the very door and saw her admitted, as if there might be a chance up to the last moment of the alarming grandson still producing himself to work her harm. And then he hobbled back in the gathering mists. He even stood lingering at his own door before he went in to the fireside and the cheerful light. Neither Catherine nor Hester, neither the young nor the old, he said to himself. In his earnestness, he repeated the words half aloud, neither Catherine nor Hester, neither money nor love. And then there came something of scorn into the old man's voice. If his father's son is capable of love, he said. End of chapter 16. End of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life, Volume 1, by Margaret O. Oliphant.